All right, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. We are on week number two of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Simple. And the reason behind it is that uh, it seems like so often uh, religion tends to make things really complicated. And sometimes even in our own minds, we, when we think about how can we connect with God, how can we grow with God, how can we take next steps with God, we start thinking of so many different things that clutter up our hearts and our minds that it becomes almost overwhelming and complicated. And we're like, I don't know what to do. Like, this is so hard. There's so much stuff. I'm supposed to do this and this and this and this and this and I'm supposed to think this way I'm supposed to do these things and I'm supposed to and it gets so overwhelming and when we look at the the words and the teachings of Jesus so often they're directly opposite of that Jesus had a way of taking really complex things things that man had made incredibly complex and teaching them in a way that was really simple and really easy to grab onto last week we talked about um, how how many different uh, rules and stuff the religious leaders of Jesus day had made up I actually did some more research on this this week was fascinating, so I thought I'd share it with you. Woo-hoo. And uh, but but listen to this. This is a uh, from a guy by the name of Thomas Rayner. He's done a bunch of research on this kind of thing, and he, he says this. He said the religious leaders of Jesus' day had developed a system um, in which there were 613 different laws. They chose the number 613 because that's how many separate letters there were in the text containing the Ten Commandments. And so they thought, wouldn't it be cool if instead of Ten Commandments we could come up with 613? <laughs> And so they came up with this, this whole huge list um, of both affirmative commands, like do this, and negative commands, don't do this. And they came up with 248 affirmative commands, one for every part of the human body as they understood it in that day. And then that left 365 negative commands, one for every day of the year. They thought, wouldn't that be cool if we could have a don't do this different one for every day of the whole stinking year? Wouldn't that be great? And then they also had the, the, uh, the 248 positive commands. They used to sit around then in the afternoons, stroking their long beards, and they used to debate uh, which, which, one, you know, which ones of these were most important, which ones weren't as important. Then they also had this list of things uh, like of affirmative uh, or of um, binding commands and non-binding commands. And they'd, they'd sit there and they'd discuss and they'd philosophize about which one were, is, was on the right list and which one should be moved and what positives maybe got left off and what other negatives they should add and kick some others off the list. And they would do this kind of thing day after day after day after day. We'll enter Jesus into the picture, right? And again, Jesus had a way of taking complex things and making them really simple. And there's this one instance in Matthew 22 where the religious leaders of Jesus' day were, were thinking about what could we do to trap Jesus? They were not liking he was gaining popularity. He was gaining disciples. People were starting to follow him. In fact, uh, droves and crowds of people were starting to gather around him and they were getting kind of jealous. And so they're like, what can we do to throw this guy off? What can we do to, to really trap him and to show him? And so uh, one particular group uh, called the uh, Sadducees had just attempted to, to basically catch Jesus in a, in a trap and they had failed miserably. In fact, Jesus' wisdom was so profound that it, it says it, they were basically dumbfounded. They just kind of stumbled backward and didn't know what to do. And so the, the other main religious group of, uh, group of religious leaders in that day were called the Pharisees and they thought, well, it's, it's our turn, right? Ah, this is going to be good. And so they kind of huddled up and they kind of came up with their strategy. What are we going to do? And they, they decided they'd get one of their, their prize guys, a, a lawyer in that day. Uh, and they, they said, we'll get him and he'll, he'll go, let's ask 
ask him, out of all of these 613 laws, let's, let's make him narrow it down to one. Do you know what I mean? And then we can just nail him from that point forward. And so they approached him and, they, and the, the guy comes up and he says, Jesus, why don't you tell us, right? Why don't you tell us of all the law, like of all the different uh, parts of the law, which one is the greatest? And Jesus, without batting an eyelash, turns back, he says this, he quotes what's known as, we talked about this before too, right? The Shema, right? He quotes the Shema and says, it's, it, it's pretty simple. The first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. He said, and the, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, all the law, all of the law, 613, all of the law and the prophets, <laughs> if that weren't enough. He's pretty much saying all the Old Testament can be summed up into those two kinds of things. See what I'm saying? Jesus had a way of kind of cutting through so much of the complexity that exists around this stuff and getting to the heart and saying, you know what it's about? This is about loving God with everything that you are. And it's about learning to let that love spill over into your relationships with others. That's what it's about. I love, uh, I love the way that Jesus takes those kind of things and makes them understandable and simple. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't cutting out parts. He was kind of uh, putting it uh, in a way that just was captured all of its spirit, all of its essence in one statement, in, in, in two commands, love God, love others. I think even in our day, it seems like religion makes things so complex sometimes. And so that's why we are doing this series. We're doing three weeks on sort of the main thing, according to Jesus, the simplicity of Jesus teaching um, in three weeks. Um, last week, we talked about uh, the first step, which was where, where Jesus said, follow me, right? This is, this is kind of Jesus' uh, regular kind of knee-jerk approach to anybody. And, and we talked about the, the crazy part about that is he's talking, he would talk to people that didn't have their act altogether. People like Matthew, we talked about last week, remember this? People that Matthew that were considered sort of the, the pond scum of society, right? He was not a moral man. He was not a good man. He was not even a believer in Jesus. Did he believe that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, the whatever? Not when he called him. And yet, Jesus walks right up to him and he says, Matthew, why don't you come and follow me? Why don't you come and do life with me? Why don't you come and, and watch me? Why don't you come and, and let, me, uh, let me show you how life was meant to be? Why don't you come and learn who I am? Watch what I do and then make, it, and then make the call for yourself of who you say that I am. This week, we're going to take the second step because although that starts there and that's the first step that Jesus always, I mean, that's how it begins in all of our lives, right? Where Jesus kind of says to us in one way or another, he says, come and follow me. Come, come and see who I am. Come, come and open up this book and, and learn who I am. Come, even come to church sometimes and hear a little, get to know me. Hear a little bit more about who I am and the plans that I have for your life. And that's how it always begins. But then sooner or later, there's another step that Jesus asks us to take. And that's the, the word I'm using for this week is believe, right? So the first step is to follow. And the second step has to do with believe. Because as, as Jesus' followers began to follow him and they started listening to the teachings of Jesus and he was teaching about the kingdom of God. He was teaching them, uh, he was teaching them about God, the Father, in ways that they had never heard before. It was jaw-dropping kind of stuff. And so as they watched him and as they listened to him, they, they witnessed as he did miracles, as he brought healing about in people's lives. He, he, he was there as, as, and, and they witnessed Jesus as he forgave people and gave them second chances to those who were really far from God. 
And finally they witnessed his death and even more than that, his resurrection. And as, these, as they watched these things, these, these followers started to believe in him. They started to take another step, moving beyond just uh, you know, what, what he's saying is true, moving beyond just a philosophy or sort of a morality. They started to believe that Jesus was really who he said he was. They started to believe this is not just a mere man. There's no way he could say the things he's saying. There's no way he could do the things he's doing. There's no way he could die and come back to life if he was a mere man. They started to believe, you know what? Maybe he really is the savior of the world. Maybe he really is God come down for us. And as they started to believe, their lives got rocked, right? Their lives were completely transformed, And all of a sudden, this ragtag bunch of disciples became world changers as they put their faith and their trust in this Jesus. It's a big deal. It's at the forefront of Jesus' message, and certainly it's on virtually every page of the Bible, this understanding that not only does Jesus call us to follow, but sooner or later... There's this moment when he says, okay, you've seen enough, you know enough, you've, you've watched me do this stuff, it's time to stop doubting and believe. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to zoom in on that kind of thing. Uh, we see it over and over throughout the pages of God's book. One, one such uh, example is right after Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people, you remember this story, right? A few fish and some loaves, that kind of thing. Jesus' ministry at this point is picking up a lot of steam. It's picking up some momentum. And so there's crowds of people that are, that are coming to Jesus. And, and uh, you can imagine the disciples are like, yeah, this thing's starting to click, right? We're getting huge crowds and everything's going well. And then Jesus steps up and, and, and teaches this really hard teaching that leaves people scratching their heads. And a lot of the crowds start to turn away and go home. And in that moment, Jesus turns to his, father, his disciples, the 12, and he says, you leaving too? And listen, listen to the response. Listen to this interaction here. It's in John chapter 6, uh, verse 66. says this. It says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. But listen to Peter's reaction. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen to this. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have come to believe. He's, he's basically saying, Jesus, I've been following you now for years. I've been watching you. I've been doing life with you. I've been kind of learning to become like you. I've been apprenticing with you. I've been following. I've watched. I've listened. I've seen what you've done. My heart has been stirred. Nobody can do the things that you have been doing. Nobody teaches the way you have taught No one can do miracles the way you can do miracles. And even in this hard teaching, even though I don't understand what you're saying, even if I don't know how I'm going to do what you're saying, he's like, I'm going to go on record right here and say, you know what? Even though this is confusing to me, I believe. I have put my faith and my trust in you. I'm clinging to you. Where you go, I go, right? To, to To whom else shall we go, he says, Where else are we going to go? You're talking about eternal life. You're talking about life in heaven forever. You're talking about a new and different life with God that we've never even dreamt of or imagined before. And I've seen enough to believe. And I'm with you. I'm in. Count me in, Jesus. uh, It's a statement of belief, a statement of trust. 
Over and over throughout the pages of the New Testament and especially in the Gospel of John, we see this theme of Jesus teaching the importance to his followers of belief in him. That belief in Jesus was transformational in people's lives. It's when people began to change from the inside out. And it happened as people first right began to follow and hang out with him and watch what he did and listen to him. And then eventually they began to believe that he was more than a mere man. They began to believe that he was more than just a good teacher or a rabbi or a moralist or a prophet. They began to believe and to trust that Jesus had come to save them and to lead them and to bring them back to God. They followed and then they believed. Again, not just believing in his teaching or believing that he existed, not just buying into a philosophy or ideal, but believing that he was who he claimed to be, that he was the Savior, that he was God come down, that he came for them. Peter says, I believe that you are the Holy One of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. The one who came to rescue and restore God's people. And not just an abstract people, Peter's saying, I believe you came for me. I've seen enough. I believe. Sort of the New Testament picture that you see again and again and again throughout the pages of God's book where he says, come and follow and then eventually come and believe. Jesus talks about a, a ton about the significance of belief. Listen to some of these teachings straight from the lips of Jesus. John three sixteen, very well known, right? 16 through 18. Jesus is saying, teaching, he says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, what does that say? Believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Is belief a big deal there? Yeah, tied to what? Eternal life, tied to salvation, tied to not being condemned but having life forever. Big deal. Let's go on. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, again, talks more about this. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Listen to this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, belief is tied to what? Becoming children of God, right? A big deal? Absolutely. John 11, 25 and 26. Look at this. Jesus is, uh, is talking to a woman here and he says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says to the woman. According to these verses, friends, and so many others, according to Jesus, eternal life and forgiveness and salvation, being adopted into God's family and brought back into a real relationship with God is all hinged on this idea of belief, of believing or putting our faith and our trust in Jesus and in his name and who he is and what he's done. This is a huge deal and it's critical to understanding why Jesus came and what this Christianity thing is all about. Now, I just want to pause here for a second, if I can, and uh, insert my own rant, okay? Fair enough? Can I do this? I I have to say that I really believe that uh, this whole concept of believing in Jesus has been terribly misunderstood in our culture. 
I think there are literally millions and millions of Americans walking around thinking that they are headed for heaven and thinking that they have been saved, thinking that they are good with God because they believe in Jesus, quote, quote, because they believe that God exists. They're like, well, hey, I believe Jesus said if you believe it's all good, right? That we're all good, we're all headed for heaven, we're adopted into his family, that's fine. But, But I just wanna suggest to you that I think our understanding of belief and what the belief that Jesus is talking about here are two very different things. And so let, let me push into this for a second. I think this is, I think uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, who I might add, who believed, right? Who had faith and whose life was transformed, believing that his brother Jesus, his half-brother Jesus, was the Messiah, was God's son, was the savior of the world, which my, my, I always have to throw this in, like, what would you have to do to convince your brother that you were the savior of the world? God came down, right? <laughs> Don't answer that. But I mean, right, I mean, the, the pretty compelling kind of stuff. But this is what James has to say about this whole idea of believing and the relationship between believing and how it impacts our lives, right? Because he, he's saying there's no difference. You can't believe and not have it transform you, not have it have some action. Because real biblical belief, the kind that Jesus talks about, the kind that Jesus teaches about, always has action. It's not just a head thing. It's not just, I believe intellectually that Jesus walked the earth. There's more than that. We'll see that in a second. James 2, starting with verse 14, listen to this. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith or belief, saving faith, but has no deeds? What's the implied answer, by the way? Is it good or no good? It's no good. Can such a faith save him? What's the implied answer, yes or no? No, he's saying. If you have faith, but there's no reflection of it in how you live, he's saying that is not saving faith. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and one of you says, uh, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical need. What good is it? The answer is, it's not. It's no good, right? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Now again, James is saying that faith, real biblical faith, is belief that always impacts your actions. It impacts how you live. Faith separated from works, he says, is dead. It's useless. It's nothing. It's not real. It's not real faith. It's not real belief. Let's go on verse 18. It says, but somebody will say, well, you have faith. I have deeds, right? <laughs> show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. He says, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, this is where he kind of puts a smack down. This is James style. He's a little in your face, a little like boom right there. But, uh, <laughs> but this is what he's saying. He's saying, man, there's, these things are tied together. If you think that the belief that the Bible is talking about is just an intellectual understanding that God exists, he's saying, are you kidding me? He's saying, the devil believes that right? Even demons believe that. There is, it's not, the, the belief that the Bible talks about is an action. It's not just, it's not just an intellectual understanding, but there's a clinging to, there's a, there's an action to it and an impact in the way it plays out in our lives. Faith without works is dead because real faith, because real belief will always spill out into our lives. It will leak into our actions. I mean, if you and I really believe what we just read, the the words of Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life, and those who have put their faith and trust, those who believe in him will not die, right? Will live even though they die. Do you think that would have an impact on our, I'm I'm talking about if we really believe that, would that have an impact on our lives? You think that would have an impact if I walk into a doctor's office and hear a horrible diagnosis that says, you're going to die. You think think that would matter then? 
I'm not saying we wouldn't struggle. I'm not saying that wouldn't be a hard thing to hear. But man, there would be an assurance in your soul that says, you know what, even if I die, I'm going home. I will live. I'll be more alive one minute after I take my last breath than I have ever been so far. Belief transforms us. It leaks out into our actions. It can be seen. You think if we believe the words that Jesus says, where he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you think if, if you and I, do you think if we believe that, you think that might, this conversation might come up in our conversations with friends and family members who don't yet know Christ? You think if we really believe that the only hope for humanity is Jesus and the only hope for salvation and to one day go home and be with him forever, the only hope in us being restored back to God, if we believe that he is our only hope, you think it might come up sometimes? Okay, you guys are being weak on this answer. You think that might come up? Absolutely. You think if I really believe what Jesus says in John 10, 10, that Jesus came to give us life and give it to the full. If I really believe that Jesus is everything, if I believe like what Paul says, right, where he says, I think everything else is rubbish. It's garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Do you think that's going to show up in my priorities, in my values, in how I live my life? And if there is not, if there is not alignment between what I say I believe and how I live my life, which one do you think is true? Probably how we live, right? If I say, man, everything else is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, but I'm over here racking up credit card debt because I got to have stuff. I got to have more, 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 more. There's some disalignment. Right, we, it, it ought to make us question it. And our, our job is, I mean, what we do as Americans, we say, well, that's okay. I believe, but then I just live differently. Than, it's not, there's no, it's fine. But James is saying, are you kidding me? Faith without actions is dead. Faith and actions always go step by step. They are married. Our, our actions will show us what we really believe so often. You kind of with me? You, is it okay? I'm doing my little rant here. Are you with me on this? <laughs> all right. I mean, Jesus said very, very, very similar things. He said this kind of thing all the time. He, one time he's talking about it and he says, you know what? You'll recognize a tree by its fruit, right? He says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree bear good fruit. He says, by, it, by your fruit, you'll recognize them. You know what he's saying? He's, he's talking about faith. He's talking about Christ followers. Saying, you know, if, if you look into somebody who's truly putting their trust and their belief and their faith in Christ, they're clinging to him. They are betting it all on him. You know what you're going to see? The fruit that you're going to see coming out in their lives? It's going to look like Christ. It's going to look like Jesus. By their fruit, you'll recognize him. You'll see what they believe by the fruit that's happening in their lives to which all of us, I think, in the room sometimes should say gulp, right? Is that a daunting thing to say? Because if we were to back up and look, there may be some things in our lives where like we've been saying that we believe and I'm not so sure. When Jesus says, those who believe in me will live and never die. Those who believe in me will be adopted into my family. He's talking about a faith, a belief that's not just intellectual. It includes that, right? It includes believing, of course, but it's real belief, a belief that's tied with action that impacts our lives. We say, I'm clinging to you. I'm betting it all on you. I'm trusting in you. I'm 
taking a step of faith and clinging to who you are. Real faith always has action. I shared with you, uh, I don't know, a while ago, but there's a great story. I couldn't help but share it again. It's from a a comedian and author, Ken Davis. He talks about um, being in a college classroom and he was supposed to... uh, he was supposed to do a presentation and he was going to be graded based on uh, how impactfully and how memorably he could make a point. And so he, he prepared and did this whole thing on the law of the pendulum was the title of his talk. And so he said he got up and he talked about um, the law of the pendulum and he explained uh, how, uh, you know, in, from a release point of a pendulum, every time it swings back, it'll fall short because of friction and gravity until it finally will be at rest. And so he, he thought, well, I'm gonna, I'll show this, I'll illustrate it by taking a three-foot piece of string, I'll put a tack in the, uh, above the chalkboard, and I'll tie a, a little top on the end. And so he, he pulled the top back, and he made a little chalk mark on the chalkboard uh, where he released it from. And every time it came back, it came back a little shorter. He'd make another line, another line, another line. In less than a minute, the toy top had come to a state of rest. He had proved his point, and he said at that point, how many of you believe in the law of the pendulum? All the hands went up, including the hand of the professor. And so with that, everybody applauded. The professor starts coming up front saying, oh, thank you, as though the lesson were done, when in reality, the lesson was only beginning, right? At this point, uh, he draws everybody's attention to the middle of the classroom where he had taken um, parachute, uh, like 500-pound test parachute line, and attached 250 pounds of metal weights in the middle of the classroom. He'd attached it to the steel uh, the beams uh, in the ceiling above, and it was hanging down in the middle. And he grabbed his professor, and he brought him over, and, he's, and, and uh, he said, you believe in the law of the pendulum. That's fantastic. And so he takes him over against the concrete wall. He puts him on a chair on a desk and puts his head up against the, 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 the wall. He goes and grabs this 250-pound metal thing, right, that's on this uh, parachute cable, pulls it over to his head, and he once again says, now let me just remind you, the law of the pendulum is that, uh, you know, in, every time it swings because of friction and gravity, it will, it will come short of its original destination. So your face will be in no real danger. He says, sir, do you believe the law of the pendulum? He's like, I've never, like, to which the guy kind of pauses and hesitates and then quietly says, yes, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. He's like, I released, I released the weights. <laughs> they swoosh through the room, right, across the room, coming to the other side of the arc, pausing for just a moment. As soon as they start back, the guy jumps, dives, basically, off the, off the, uh, the chair, over the bench, and uh, avoids the, the path. And uh, he said to the class, he said, does he believe in the law of the pendulum? And everybody said, no, right? Because I think in, in any issue other than faith, we understand that belief is always tied to action, right? If we really believe something, it will impact how we live. If he believed in the law of the pendulum, he'd have no problem keeping his face there. If you're certain, right? If you're certain it's true, then there should be no problem. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that you go home and try this or anything like that, but, but right, belief impacts behavior. It always does. It always has. It always will. I think the picture that, that we're talking about right here in this illustration from Ken Davis, it's the difference between our culture's understanding of belief in God versus Jesus' teaching and the biblical understanding of real belief. We make it about an intellectual thing. Oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus existed. I believe he walked the earth. I may even believe he's the Messiah or the savior of the world. 
But Jesus taught that belief can be seen by our actions. If we believe that Jesus is better than anything else in life, our lives will reflect it by how we live. Jesus taught that belief can be seen by your actions. I remember, uh, I remember hearing one time uh, another story that uh, I remember hearing. We used to live up in uh, northeast Wisconsin, right on Lake Michigan, and so I have all kinds of illustrations about that involve Lake Michigan. So you have to forgive me. But I remember hearing one time somebody say. Uh, they said, let's say that you're out in the middle of Lake Michigan. And this actually happens sometimes. Often, there'd be several times a year where people would drown in Lake Michigan, oftentimes because it was so cold uh, that actually people would pass out because of the cold and, and drown. But they said, let's imagine for a second that you're out in Lake Michigan. You're in way over your head. There's no, no boats or no, nothing around. And, uh, and you can tell you're done. I mean, like, you've been fighting the good fight. You've been splashing and trying to swim and whatever, and you're just exhausted. You're done. There is no way you can save yourself. And, and this realization is coming into your head, into your mind. You're like, oh, man. And you're starting to bob under, and you're starting to bob under, and you're thinking, this is it. It's over. Let's say at that moment, Jesus sends a life preserver, right? And he throws it out, and it lands right in front of you, a flotation device. And it's sitting right there, and it's beautiful. Let's say you believe that that flotation device could save your life. Let's say you really, I mean, you believe that this is sound. It's stable, man. This thing could support you. It could probably support a bunch of other people. It's the good. If you believe that that flotation device will save your life, will you be saved? What's the answer? No. You can believe as much as you want to believe and go under with that flotation device right in front of you, right? That's the, that's the biblical, that's, or that's the world's picture of belief, right? It's divorce from action. But if you, I mean, but, but biblical, the biblical, biblical picture of belief is to believe that it can save you and do what? Grab it. Grab it with everything you are, right? You put yourself inside that baby and you are not letting go for anything. That's biblical belief. It's faith, yes, but with action, when, when Jesus talks about putting your belief, believing in the Son, believing in Jesus, it is faith, it is belief with action. It's taking a step of faith. It's choosing to cling to Christ with everything that we are saying. You know what, I've, I've been following you, Jesus, and I see enough and I know enough to believe that you are who you say you are, and I am one that's in need of saving. Would you come and rescue me? Martin Luther uh, has a quote that he used to say, man, Christianity is really an issue of uh, possessive pronouns. He says it's one thing to say that Christ is a savior or Christ is the savior. It's entirely different to say he is my savior and my Lord. He said the devil can say the first, the true Christian alone can say the second. It's one thing to say, I believe God, in God. It's one, another thing to say, or it's one thing to say, I believe Jesus is a savior or the savior. But the biblical picture of belief is saying, Christ, I need you to be my savior. Would you come and rescue me? Would you come and bring me home? Would you come and forgive me for my sins? Would you come and be my God and my Lord? Would you lead me from this point forward? I'm clinging to you with everything I've got. Jesus says, those who believe in me will live. That's the picture. That's the picture.
I don't know where you're at uh, with God uh, this morning. I'm not sure kind of what, what's going on or, or even where you're at. I, uh, I was thinking this week again about uh, the story I shared in our last series, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I was thinking about Thomas and just thinking, known as Doubting Thomas, right? Yeah, he's, he gets the bad rap in the New Testament. There's a lot of doubters in the New Testament, though. He is the skeptical one, and so you can, you can throw up the, the verses if you want, but it, it, it says this. I'll just go through it real quick. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. When Jesus had died and rose again from the dead and appeared to the other disciples, but Thomas wasn't with him. And so the other disciples told him, literally it means they kept telling him over and over and over, which I wonder, Why? Perhaps they believe, but anyway, um, they keep telling him over and over and over, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and reach my hand out into his side, he says, I will not believe. And then verse 26, go on. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he he said, peace be to you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, come here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. He says, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas replies with the proper possessive pronouns, right? What does he say? My Lord and my God. He's like, I've seen enough. I'm, I'm in. And I was thinking about that and thinking, man, I think there's probably people all over the spectrum here today, right? I mean, I think there's some of us that maybe identify with Thomas. I'm a bit of a skeptic myself, so I always enjoy and appreciate that that, uh, the story of Thomas gets put in there because I think sometimes I can be a little skeptical. Maybe you can be too. But maybe you're at a place where you're saying, you know what? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I'm I'm not sure about all this, this God stuff. I'm not sure who Jesus is. And maybe you need to, maybe you need to explore, maybe you need to start praying and saying, Jesus, would you show yourself to me? I need to see before I can believe. I need to follow you before I can believe. Oh, there's one, throw up that last verse if you would. There's one more in there. Yeah, yeah. I love the end of this, by the way, where uh, it says this. This is the end of the John 20 passage, the Thomas passage. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. By the way, who are those that have not seen? That's us, right? It's written to us. Now listen to this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, John says. But these are written. These are written why? Why are these things written down? Why are these words written down? He says, these things are written down. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you are a bit of a doubting Thomas and you need to check this guy out, would you pick up this book? These words are written down so that you can believe, so that you, so that you can know who Jesus is, so that you can know the life that he has for you. I always encourage people to start either in John, which is what we've been reading out of today, or in the book of Luke. These are both eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. If you're a bit of a skeptic and you're still kind of checking this dude out, saying, who is this Jesus guy? What, what are his plans for my life? Man, there is no better place to begin than by taking a chapter or two a day and reading through the book of Luke or the, the book of John. And as you do, maybe before you start out, you just say, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me and see if he doesn't show up? The Bible says that faith or belief comes from hearing the message and the message is found in the word of God. Man, there is no better place to start.
So maybe that's you. Maybe, uh, maybe you just need to check some stuff out a little bit more. Maybe you're here and, and as we're talking about belief married to action, maybe there's some areas in your life where you're stepping back and going, um, I hope we don't get more specific than this because maybe there's an area or two or three in your life where your actions are telling a different story than what you would espouse to believe. And if that's the case, I would say, man, there's no better time than today to step back, to turn Godward and say, God, would you forgive me? There's a place in, in uh, Mark uh, that I was just reading earlier. Oh, I'll read it for you. But it's just a couple verses. Mark 9, uh, a boy brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And uh, Jesus makes this comment. He says, boy, he says, everything is possible to him who believes, he tells the boy's father. And, and the boy's father, his response is great. He says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I just think, man, that is so the story of my life and maybe that's the story of your life too. Maybe today we need to step back and say, God, would you forgive us for our unbelief? There are, I, I'm still living like this world is what it's all about or my job or money or possessions or pleasure or relationships. I'm still going after all different kinds of things. God, would you forgive me? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me, help me to see you and know you more. Help me to know that you are the best, that you are sufficient for all my needs, that you are the God who is greater still, that you are holy and perfect, that you are the provider, that you are the fulfillment bringer even, that really John 10, 10 is true, that there is life that you came to bring me, life to the full. Help me to live in and know that today. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at. You just need to, to come clean with God. He already knows it, right? But maybe it's time to come back to him and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you bring me back home? Help me, help me to overcome my unbelief. Or maybe you've been following for a while. Maybe you've been around the church scene for a while. Maybe you've been around uh, and seen people's lives get transformed again and again and again. We've had a bunch of those happen in this church in the last six or eight weeks. A bunch of lives changed. And I have to say, do whatever you have to do to be here next week because you'll get to hear their stories. Such an encouragement. Probably the coolest thing we get to do as a church, baptism, right? And so don't miss it. Be here. Uh, do whatever you have to do. It'll be super encouraging uh, to your own faith as well. But we've, we've seen a lot of, so maybe you've, maybe you've seen this happen. Maybe you've been around it. And maybe even you've seen enough and you believe, man, you believe in Jesus. You believe in God. You believe that Jesus even saves people. You've seen it happen. You might even believe he's a good teacher. His teachings are true. They work. You've maybe even seen them and experienced them for yourself. And maybe today it's time. You've seen enough. And maybe the living God, maybe Jesus himself is speaking to your heart and to your soul and saying, you know what, you've seen enough. Stop doubting and believe Maybe today's the day for you to open up your heart and your life and to turn to him and say, Jesus, be my savior and be my God. I need you. Would you come and save me? Would you come and forgive me? Would you come and bring life to, to my soul? I'm clinging to you. If you've never done that before, today is your day. Don't let it go by. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of grace. Today is the day of good news. We don't know about tomorrow, but you have today. Let's cling to him and turn to him. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, uh, I thank you that really life with you is so much simpler than we make it, that you call us to follow. 
and you reveal yourself to us and then you call us to believe, to put our faith in our trust and even to entrust our lives to you. Father, for those of us that maybe are a little bit more skeptical, a little bit more like Thomas, I pray that you'd show yourself to us even today, that you'd be drawing us into your word, helping us to open up the pages of your book and that even through your, the, the, the story of Jesus and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Lord, I pray that you would come alive to us, that we could see and know enough, that we could believe in your name and find life. Father, for those of us that maybe see a disconnect in the way we live and what we say that we believe, Father, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? I thank you, God, that, we, that you are patient with us and gracious with us, that you are doing a work in us, that you are bringing transformation as we, as we follow you, as we learn to believe, and pray that you would indeed cleanse us and forgive us. And we say, God, we, we do believe, help, help us to overcome our unbelief. Teach us to trust you. Show yourself to us more and more. Show us your glory. Enamor us, God, with who you are. May our eyes see you right-sized in our lives. Teach us to follow and believe. And Father, for those of us that maybe have been around uh, long enough, we just want to open up our hearts and our lives to you today. Just say, come, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come and be my Savior. Come and be my God. Would you cleanse me from my sin, my junk, the way that I've tried to do everything on my own and run stuff into the ground. God, would you, would you forgive me and cleanse me and be my Savior and be my God? I want to follow you. I'm clinging to you today. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. I'm choosing follow and to believe, God. Would you come now, Lord Jesus, come and fill us, come and cleanse us, come and be our Savior and our God. We love you. We entrust ourselves to you afresh this morning. In Jesus' name.